eager to share this morning. Um, we, Brent kicked us off in a new series last week um, called Losing My Religion, and we're going through the book of Galatians together, which is Paul's letter to the region of Galatia. And I was thinking, I was laughing this week telling Matthew, I'm like, talking about letters. I feel like this, this younger generation now, they don't really get the experience of letters as much. You just text your friends in school. Did any of you remember writing those letters to your friends in school and then you'd fold them up kind of funky ways and like pass them in the hallways? I have like a distinct memory of um, when my brother was gone. He's not here this morning to hear this, but I would pull a chair up to his top drawer and open it up, and it had all these cool folded letters from like all his girlfriends over time. And I would unfold all those and read all those love letters and uh, get the, the dirt on what was going on in my brother's life and with his relationships. This is not that kind of letter. As you heard last week from Brent, this is not um, a, a feel-good, wrap-it-in-a-cute-little-package letter. Paul is... Uh, what I like to call Spicy Paul. I think Brent called him salty last week. I'm like, he's spicy. He is not happy um, in this letter, or there's a lot of passion um, that's being shared in this letter, and it's not a, in a fuzzy way. So just a reminder, a refresher from Galatians 1 last week. Um, there were false teachers in Galatia, and Paul was actually being accused as being one of them. And so he's writing this letter to say, that's not true, and to clear up what was going on, um, to clear up what the gospel actually was. Um, Brent talked about last week this idea that there were um, false teachers who were saying, you needed Jesus plus, Jesus plus something, right? This addition to the gospel, and that Jesus was not necessarily sufficient as is, but needed, um, there's people that need to be circumcised, and you need to have kosher eating habits, and you've got to observe the Sabbath, etc., and Paul is writing this letter to say that's not true. And those false teachers are false. And I am not one of them. Paul is saying, I am, I am a genuine teacher, follower of Jesus. You can trust what I have to say. And so that's where we begin this, this letter today as we jump into chapter 2. And chapter 2 is interesting because Paul's addressing all these false teachers and the false teaching that's going on. But the unexpected part about Galatians 2 and the unexpected part about Paul's expression in this letter is that one of those false teachers was his own friend, an apostle, the apostle Peter, his friend that he was a, a, was a co-laborer in the gospel. He was planting churches alongside Peter, and they had close relationship as, as disciples, as followers of Jesus together. But he had found out now that Peter was somehow participating in this false teaching that's going on. So what's going on uh, in Antioch where they are in this letter? And what's going on with Peter? What's up with Peter? Well, in Antioch, there's a lot of good stuff going on. So um, Paul and Barnabas had left uh, Jerusalem and they'd gone to Antioch. And they planted a church there. And it was going gangbusters. I mean, it was like there was all kinds of explosion of new believers, people who were hearing the gospel of Jesus and believing it and following Jesus. And it was a beautiful thing that was happening in Antioch because it wasn't just any kind of 
follower of Jesus, this was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. So Antioch had a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, people who would never normally mix. And they were both becoming followers of Jesus from both uh, crews of people. So the Jews are becoming Christians and following Jesus. The Gentiles are becoming Christians and following Jesus. And they're eating together, which would have been unheard of. And they're sharing the Lord's Supper together. They're caring for the poor and the needs in their community together. It's just this beautiful thing going on in Antioch. In fact, Antioch is the, is the place where they first be, began being called Christians. And I think that's even, even uh, significant because before then, you were identified as Jew or Gentile, you know? And now there's a new identifier for these folks. And the Jews are still Jews and the Gentiles are still Gentiles, but there's a new identifier given to them or that they're identifying with and calling themselves, which is Christians, little Christ. We are little Christ. And there's this beautiful new identifier as these groups come together and people are following Jesus and uh, you just get this sense of like, oh, this is what church is meant to be. It's happening in Antioch. But it was all new and it was unfamiliar. Again, uh, Brent talked about this a little bit last week, but historically you probably know this, but Jews and Gentiles absolutely would not have mixed. They would not have been in each other's companies. They wouldn't have even acknowledged each other, let alone go over to each other's homes and eat meals and share a food together. Because in this time, table fellowship was like the most intimate thing you could do is sit and eat with someone. And you would not eat. A Jew would not eat with a Gentile. Jews would have thought of Gentiles as dirty. They didn't have all the cleansing ceremonies that Jews had. And they ate pork. And they didn't keep the Sabbath. And, and of utmost importance... They weren't circumcised. And so the Jews would think, this is, these are not a people that we want to be associated with. We definitely don't want to share a meal with. But that's what's happening in Antioch. Jesus came. Jesus has, has shared the gospel. People are beginning to share the gospel. Paul is sharing the gospel. Jesus has died, and Jesus has been resurrected. And what happened in that death and resurrection as we worshiped about this morning is the veil is torn. There is a barrier that's removed between all people. And in Jesus' death, what happens is there's a reconciliation of people to God and a reconciliation of people to people. And so now they're living it out and they're experiencing it. Like these folks who would never normally connect are now connecting, eating being reconciled to one another as they're reconciled to God. And Peter had come to visit and see what was going on in Antioch. He'd spent some time there, and he was soaking it up. He'd been eating with the Gentiles and the Jews, and he'd just been enjoying all these new followers of Jesus, enjoying their company, sharing the Lord's Supper with them. And there's so much encouragement happening in Antioch. But then the Judaizers show up. This is more of these false teachers that we heard about last week. The Judaizers come on the scene, and the Judaizers were essentially Jewish Christians who were all about Jesus plus, right? We want you to be Christians. Yes, Gentiles absolutely can be Christians, but you need to be circumcised. You need to eat kosher. You need to keep the Sabbath, right? You can be a follower of Jesus as a Gentile, but you need to look a little more Jewish, right? You need to follow the Mosaic law. And I understand that on some level, because don't we all do that? I can remember just even in years of, of doing campus ministry 
and getting to see new students come to faith in Jesus and begin to follow him. And the initial reaction in me is like, okay, come over to our, our crew, you know, and adopt these habits and these practices, and this is what we do, and this is where we go, right? Rather than send them back to their sorority house or their club on campus and be like, go live it out, you know? Our nature is to be like, follow, abide by these things, right? Matthew always talks about how when he first became a Christian, started following Jesus, he bought a suit. <laughs> I was like, why? And he said, because all the Christians I knew on Sunday mornings wore suits. He's like, the guys at church were wearing suits. So I thought, that's what you do when you follow Jesus. You wear a suit on Sunday mornings, you know? There's a way that we do that. We adopt, we want you to be a follower of Jesus, but this is what it looks like, right? We all have those ideals in our head. And it was no different. Judaizers were the same way. Culturally, they're like, we want you to be Jewish. You can be a follower of Jesus as a Gentile, but you need to look more Jewish. And what happened, that part is not shocking. What's shocking is that Peter began to align himself with the Judaizers. Peter began saying, yeah, that's right. I'm hanging out with the Jewish folks only. And he had been eating and ministering to the Gentiles, and that stopped. When the Judaizers came around and they were telling people, hey, you do need to be circumcised, actually, Paul, Peter stops hanging out with the Gentiles. He stops eating with them. He begins to align with only the Jewish folks, eat with only the Jewish folks. And apparently, it wasn't that subtle of a move because it says that other people were influenced by him, that other people began to watch Peter and follow his lead including Barnabas, who'd been part of this church planting and who knew that Gentiles were fellow followers of Jesus. But they were influenced by Peter because Peter's behavior changed and he began only associating with the Jews. And so that's why this letter is not a cute little love letter folded up in a nice package. That's why this letter is a different kind of letter because Paul is hot. Paul is mad at what's going on. And rightly so. Paul is so unhappy at what's been happening with Peter. And so we pick up in Galatians 2, verse 11. It says, when Cephas, or as he was called, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. There's a joyful letter. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, like I said. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? I am not normally a conflict person, okay? I'm like I, like, I like to keep the peace. But I love the conflict here. I love the tension. I love that Paul's mad. And I love that he calls him out publicly. It is this tense moment where Paul, Peter is his like beloved friend, fellow disciple, fellow apostle, co-laborer in the gospel, planting churches alongside him. And he's calling him out in front of all these people in a very public place and in a very direct way. And I was even thinking this week as I was reading this, I'm like, hmm, would I give this advice to someone? 
Typically, when we talk about having conflict in the church or conflict with other Christians, what do we think of? The, the scripture in Matthew that's like, go to them quietly, you know, Set, take them aside and talk to them. But not here, because this was not a personal offense. This was an offense to the gospel. And this was not a private offense. This was a very public offense. Peter had been only hanging out with Jews. He had been, and he's a key leader in this new, in the, in the way, as they called it, in the new followers of Jesus. He's a key leader, and he has very publicly been ignoring Gentiles and associating only with Jews, enough that other people are coming along with him and influenced by him. And so this mistake that Peter is making is widespread. And so the damage of it is widespread. And so Paul, I believe rightly so, needs to address this in a widespread, far-reaching way. And so very publicly, right there, Paul calls Peter out in front of so many of these people that are maybe new converts of Jesus, new followers in the church um, in Galatia. And the sad part is that Peter actually knew better. (laughs) Peter knew in his heart of hearts. He knew that the gospel of Jesus was not about circumcision. It's not about food laws. He knew he followed Jesus and knew this deeply. He knew that you don't have to become Jewish to be a follower of Jesus, but here he is, only associating with the Jews. And Paul calls this hypocrisy. In verse 13, he's like, this is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy simply means acting contrary to what we believe or what we preach. Now, if I, even in reading this this week, I'm like, I am not a hypocrite. Like, I would never label myself as a hypocrite. I'm a very genuine person. But wow, there are times where I could say this is true, that I act contrary to what I believe or what I preach. And you know how I know I'm a hypocrite? Because I have kids and they call me out on it. You know, even just the other day, Pearl was like, I thought we were eating healthy. Okay, Pearl. (laughs) I've told her something or taught her something and now I'm acting in a contradictory way. We all do it in different places in our lives. One commentary that I read this week said that Peter was unsaying with his actions what he said with his mouth. Or when we participate in hypocrisy, we're unsaying with our actions what we say with our mouth. Isn't that good? Like, wow. We say one thing and we are taking away what we say by the actions that we do. So why is Paul reacting so strongly, so publicly, so directly with Peter, his friend? And I believe it's because of Peter's level of hypocrisy. This was not just any hypocrisy. Paul is bewildered by Peter because, like I said, Peter knows what's true. Peter knows what it means to follow Jesus. Peter knows that it doesn't require Jewish custom and Jewish law. And there are many reasons why Jesus knows this, or why, sorry, why Peter knows this. But one of the stories I thought of right away was there's this story in Acts. This happened not long before this moment. Do you remember this story in Acts 10 where Peter is the first person that's actually sent out to the Gentiles? He is commissioned by God to the Gentiles to go and to preach the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. He's the first person that's sent out to do that. Do you remember that he has this vision that he gets from God. It's this incredibly clear vision 
of who he should go to, this man named Cornelius, and God tells him he's not Jewish, but he's God-fearing, and you need to go find him, and I want you to eat with him, and I want you to stay at his house, and, and that I'm giving you permission to do that. That's okay. He had this incredibly clear vision from God, incredibly clear calling in Acts 10, it says, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything that's impure or unclean. And then the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This was a profound moment for Peter. Profound. In this moment, in this vision, God is telling him, you no longer need to abide by clean or unclean, pure or impure. People are not pure or impure, clean or unclean. There is a new, uh, a new gospel, and that is a gospel of reconciliation. So you go, you go, go, see, go visit Cornelius and stay at his house and eat whatever meat he has for you, and enjoy the time with his family, the non-Jewish people. This was a core moment for Peter. Can you imagine God gives you a vision that, that, that's that clear, and that's that countercultural or that shockingly different than what you're used to? You will never forget that, right? You would never forget that. This has to be, in, in all my new classes around mental health, we talk about core memories. This had to have been a core memory for Peter. Something huge that God is shifting in his heart and his way of thinking. And now this? And now he's neglected that? He's gone back on that? And he's only hanging out with Jewish folks and only eating with Jewish folks? How could he have had this profound moment? And then suddenly it doesn't matter anymore. Probably you've had one of those core moments in your life, or maybe many of them, where God spoke to you, and you could recall it right now. Oh, I remember where I was. I remember a, a scripture that someone gave me that profoundly shaped me. I remember a person or a season of my life. We all have those moments where God reveals things to us, and we're shaped by them, and they change the trajectory of our lives and our relationship with God. Peter had that moment, and now he's walking away from it. And all because it says in scripture that he was afraid of the people who were about the circumcision. All because he was afraid of causing trouble or afraid of upsetting the Judaizers. And I judge him so much <laughs> this week as I was reading it. I'm like, Paul, Peter, what is wrong with you? How could you forget that, you know? And all because you just don't wanna upset someone all because you don't want to cause trouble or cause controversy. And then I feel like, oh, I do the same thing. In fact, I, I said to Matthew, it sounds like Paul sounds a little Midwestern, you know. Often in, in the Midwest even, I think we have a value for just keeping the peace. Or peace at any price. One commentary I read this week said that in mixed company in Galatia, that Peter chose the path of least resistance. 
Wow. Peter chose the path of least resistance over the conviction of his heart and the calling that God had put on his life. And isn't it interesting, even, as you think back over Peter's life, this is not the first time this has happened. Peter has profoundly believed something and then walked away from it, right? Peter profoundly loved Jesus and followed him, and then Peter profoundly denies Jesus as well. Peter chose the path of least resistance over the conviction of his heart and the clear calling on his life. That statement messed with me this week. Is there a place in your life where you've chosen the path of least resistance over the conviction or the deep knowing in your heart about something? Is there a place where you have just wanted to keep the peace? I was reflecting, I've been reflecting a lot over the last couple of months um, as I ended my time with InterVarsity, this ministry that I worked for for 17 years, and I've been reflecting on all that God did and all the, the fun I had and the ways I saw God show up. And in a lot of ways, I was reminded of Antioch. It was like, oh my goodness, we've got athletes and we've got musicians and we've got nerds and we've got the cool kids and they're all coming to faith in Jesus and they're all in this space and what do I do? And it's exciting, you know? And I thought about that and I thought about that passion that I had when I was just 20, 21, 22. I had some kind of fire in me and passion. I'd had an encounter like Peter that changed me. You know, I grew up Christian. I'd kind of walked away. I thought the church was a little bogus, and I just was not into it. But I began to read the Gospels and hang out with some people who actually followed Jesus, and it changed me deeply and profoundly. I still remember. I remember sitting in the backyard of my parents' house, reading the Gospel of Mark, and just loving Jesus. I remember telling my friends, I'm like, I got a new man in my life, and his name's Jesus. (laughs) And I was ready to reorient my whole life around him. That's all I wanted to do. And we just had fun and did ministry and loved Jesus. And then I met Matthew and we did that together. And even in our very early years before kids, when we had time and space and things in our lives, we were like, how do we reorient our lives around Jesus? What do we do? God, call us to something. We want to lay down our lives for you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And that was 17 years ago. And now I see, like, there's been drift. Things have changed. Some things have remained the same. We still deeply love Jesus. But I feel less like I reorient my life around Jesus and following him, if I'm honest. There's a way that even this week, God is convicting me, like, There are ways that you've chosen the path of least resistance over the convictions of your heart, over these profound moments that you've had in my presence. And I think some of that drift just happens in the culture, right? That's what Peter was swayed by, culture. Peter was like, ooh, there's some Jews around. I should act more Jewish and only hang out with the Jews. I don't want to disrupt culture. I don't want to disrupt what's normal. 
And I do the same thing. Somehow I've given in to so much of what we call the American dream, you know? It's just easy. Isn't it easy? It's the path of least resistance to join the American dream, to have kids. And then what do you do? You begin to reorient your lives around your kids and all their activities and your work schedule. Is there a place where you're in your life where you've chosen the path of least resistance over the conviction or the deep knowing in your heart, like Peter? I think Paul is also reacting very strongly here because Peter's behavior is so offensive to the gospel of Jesus that they're trying to spread. In fact, I would say that Peter's behavior is in opposition to the gospel of Jesus. This is not like a preference thing. We talk about that a lot at Ashworth. That's one of the things that I think a lot of us love about our church is that there's a lot of room. We may disagree or agree or we have different views on things maybe, but Jesus is the center. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus is the focus and we're good leaving each other's preferences. We're okay with that. But this is not that. This is not a preference thing. This isn't just Peter being like, oh, I just tend to like Jews better or oh, I just tend to like Jewish culture better. No, Peter is excluding Gentile Christians in fellowship and that is in opposition to the gospel of reconciliation and salvation by grace. In Galatians 2 verse 14 The letter continues, and he says, When I saw that you were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, he uses even their own language and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. The Judaizers were preoccupied with this religious practice, with these practices of circumcision, of cleansing, of eating certain foods, of keeping the Sabbath. And that was their question. And And now they're burdening the Gentiles with this. They're burdening the Gentiles with Jewish law and practices that even they couldn't keep. And he's saying, Peter is saying to Paul, or Paul is saying to Peter, excuse me, Paul is saying to Peter, Peter, you're Jewish and you're not even following all these laws. You know, you live like a Gentile, but you're asking these Gentiles to live like Jews, to follow the Mosaic law. Paul's anger and his calling out here is because Peter, who was the first one, to go to the Gentiles to share the love of Jesus is now acting no different than the Judaizers. And in doing so, his actions are showing something that is opposite of the gospel. His exclusion of Gentiles implies the need for proper religious practices to have favor with God. By only eating with Jews, by denying and ignoring the Gentiles, he is showing a different gospel than he's preached. He is showing that it does matter. Circumcision does matter. The what, what you eat and how you eat it and how you cleanse before and after does matter. 
And that is absolutely untrue. And Peter actually knows that. In fact, Paul says to him, we know. In verse 16, he says, Peter, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. In fact, Paul then says that in three different ways. He tells him in three different ways, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. It seems like Peter needs to hear things three times, doesn't he? To remember, to be called back, to get it. And I think in that moment too, Paul is probably saying those things to the folks that are listening also. Like, hey, in case you have been confused by the gospel that's being spread by Peter's behavior, listen, it's not about the practice of keeping your religion or keeping your Sabbath or keeping your food kosher. It is not about practice. It's about position. The good news of the gospel is not righteousness through religious practice, but receiving righteous position through justification. And that's what he's saying in this letter. Not a position as a Jew or Gentile, but your position as recipients of the righteousness of Christ. This is the core of everything to the gospel. The good news, it's justification. What does justification mean? I was researching it again this week to better understand it. It's a legal term. It means that you're declared righteous, not guilty of your sin, even though you think you are. (laughs) Jesus has said, no, you're not. You've been given the righteousness of Christ. There's an exchange that happens that we talk about often here at the cross, and that is that you are forgiven. You are no longer held to the standard of your religious practice. You're given the righteousness, the righteous position of Christ's righteousness, that exchange that happens. That God declares that someone is in right relationship with him, forgiven and part of his family, and it doesn't happen with our observation of the law or of our human work, but it happens through trusting our faith in Jesus and the work that he's done. Righteousness is ours. The position of being righteous is not ours because of practice. It's ours because of position. Righteousness comes through our position in Christ, made righteous because of the work that he did. He goes on in verse 17 and says, But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would have been a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He's saying, why are you trying to go back to the law? Don't rebuild what's been torn down. If the law actually worked, if people could actually follow the Mosaic law and they were able to keep that law, whatever, the 613 laws, we wouldn't need Jesus to die. Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Humans would have been able to keep those. But Jesus was the only perfect one, the only one that was able to keep the law, and he died so that the same would be true for us. That in his death, we gain our justification 
that we are made right before God, that we gain his righteousness, that we die to the law, we die to our ability to maintain and keep the law, and now we live in the resurrection of Christ. Religious practice is not the source of our salvation. Again, if it was, we wouldn't need Jesus. But justification, where Jesus declares for us that we are freed from sin, that we've died with him and we're resurrected with him, and we are the righteousness in that righteous position, that is the source of our salvation. So I wonder this morning, just as I close, where do you find yourself in this passage and in this letter that Paul is writing this morning? As Brent talked about last week, it's, he shared a quote about the scriptures were not written for us, or they were not written to us, they're written for us. Scripture was written for the people at this time, but if there's something for us in it. What is for you in, in this story? Who do you resonate with? Maybe you're like me and you resonate with Peter. Maybe you are like, oh yeah, I choose the path of least resistance and I have chosen the path of least resistance. I've had deep conviction, profound moments where God has revealed truth to me or revealed things about my life to me. And I've just drifted away from that. In keeping peace at all costs, maybe you've been kept from a conviction that you have. And so this morning, will you let this letter serve as a reminder to you, go back to that conviction. Go back to that moment. Would you remember what God called you to, what God told you is true, and stop choosing the path of least resistance? Or maybe you resonate with Paul. Maybe you're one who sees hypocrisy in the church. A lot of people see that, and a lot of people leave because of it. Would you, would you choose to not leave? Would you choose to be like Paul, and instead of leaving, you stand up to it? And would you remind people you know what he did? He went in and he reminded people what is true of the gospel. No, this is not, Jesus plus is not true. It's just Jesus. Would you do that with your life and your words? Remind people of the truth and the beauty of the gospel when you see hypocrisy. Or maybe you resonate with the Judaizers. I remember Brent saying last week, we don't usually put ourselves in the camp of the enemy, you know, or the agitators. We're never that person in the story, but maybe you are. That's a hard pill to swallow, but maybe you tend to find reason to keep certain people at a distance. Maybe you've assumed that certain people can't be Christians. Now, we would never say that, and Peter would never say that. If somebody confronted Peter and said, can Gentiles be followers of Jesus, he would say, absolutely, yes. But the way he lived, his actions proved something different. But for us, it's likely not about circumcision anymore. But maybe it's about the theological beliefs that differ. Maybe it's related to someone's ethnicity or culture. Like, yeah, I just, I just don't understand. 
Those are just not my people. Maybe it's related to gender or sexuality or political party. Do you believe that God is big enough to reconcile all of that to him and all of you to one another? Or maybe, and finally, maybe you resonate with the Gentiles. Maybe you've been eager to follow Jesus, but you still feel on some level like you just don't belong. You watch everybody else go and hang out with the Jews. Maybe you're like, what's wrong with me? And Jesus this morning says, you're justified. If you follow him and you allow him to lead your life, then you live in the righteousness of Christ. You have position in righteousness with him. You don't have to adopt these religious practices that are burdensome like the Jews. But you get the righteousness of Christ. So I'm going to close this in prayer and just give us a moment of quiet. Maybe there's something you need to say to Jesus this morning. Or maybe there's something God wants to say to you. Just take a moment.